Good morning, everyone. My name is Noah. I serve on our youth worship team. And today, I get the privilege of reading the scripture that Andy is going to be preaching on later. It is found in Colossians 2, 4 through 8. And it says, I tell you this, so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, Just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. Thanks, Noah. Um, especially thanks for hanging around after I called you Jonah after the last service. I, I appreciate that. You know, it's pretty crazy coming up here and seeing Noah um, leading in this way. I can remember a few years ago, as the former leader of the media team, I was able to see a bunch of things from behind the scenes. And uh, a few years ago, Aslan was putting together a band and she needed somebody to play bass. And I remember she couldn't find anybody to play bass. Noah didn't know how to play bass, but Aslan asked him, I guess, anyway, and he said yes. And then he's gone from that now to leading up here in worship. Uh, Last summer, I think it was, I remember seeing him preach a message online for our youth. It's so cool to see. You know, I I was listening to the announcements just then that Kristen was given is these opportunities to serve our youth. You know, don't think of this specifically as serving um, the next generation of the church. This is the now generation. These are the kids that are up here leading us in worship right now. And I don't know about you, but for me down here as, as we were worshiping just then, I mean, it, it's hard to come up here and be focused after that. I was just completely open and just, oh, just astonished at these kids as I'm watching them just sing and lead us so powerfully and so meaningfully. It was just incredible. Yeah, absolutely. It was awesome. So uh, now, uh, as, as I'm getting ready to begin today's message, there's a couple things I need to take care of. Another, another thing that uh, has been fantastic this weekend is this, this past weekend. Yesterday, we actually had a community serve day. Yeah, it rained, but yeah, we still had people out there. We were doing yard work, right? Helping out of the Culver Learning Center um, at TP Park and at the Potter's Wheel. We had multiple teams out there doing maintenance projects. And then we hosted a block party in TP Park. They had a, a live DJ. It was wet. It was rainy. And there, there were some kids out there just crazy, splashing through the mud puddles and having a blast. But uh, we grilled up some burgers and some hot dogs. And, uh, you know, not a lot of people from the neighborhood came in. So they packaged up the hot dogs and the hamburgers, and they took them out and dispersed them through the neighborhood. And it was amazing. And I encourage you, uh, just like we're saying, you know, serve with the kids and the youth. Also, look for these community serve days here in the Evansville area. We're going to have more. We're going to do these regularly. And the information for those will be on our website. That's cccgo.com forward slash info. Now, I lead the online campus, so anything online, every time I get a chance, I'm going to mention it. So, so do that. Go to cccgo.com forward slash info on a regular basis. Also, download the Crossroads Now app. That's another way to stay informed and engaged with what's going on here at Crossroads. Now, speaking of the people back there that are online, which is where I usually am, Miranda and I saw Jim and Carol had joined us online today. We've got regulars that join us every week, and I'm so appreciative of our church family that joins us online in, in that way. In addition to all of you now, it's just beautiful to see 
the crowd here at the Newburgh campus in this room. And I know there's people in the chapel. Yeah, all right. It is awesome. It's so cool just to worship together. It's been amazing. Now, um, the second thing that I need to do is uh, last week, Phil assigned us some homework. Now, as a student, I was terrible at getting, especially homework assignments. I could pass a test, but homework assignments, I tell you, I was terrible at it. I always was doing them at the last second. So speaking of that, Phil gave us a homework assignment to do over the course of the past week. So now I'm gonna finish it right here at the very, very last second. second. Now, last service, I, I said a poem. Phil, Phil asked us to do a poem, a song, or a paragraph uh, about who Jesus is to us, right? So last service, I did a, you know, kind of a lame poem, I'll admit. It was uh, roses are red, violets are blue. Um, so this time I thought maybe I'd step it up just a touch, you know? So uh, coming up through the church, you know, I'm a child of the 80s, the 90s. There's a rap legend, a, a Christian rap legend, Super C, Soup the Chemist, that I really enjoyed. And when I was rapping uh, back in the day, um, there's one of his songs I borrowed from to, to talk about who Jesus is to me and my role within that. And I was called, believe it or not, the professor at that time, right? So what it is, is I was called the professor because I'm loved to profess the love of my savior, J-E-S-U-S-C-G. I just grabbed this here microphone to co-say that Jesus Christ is the life. Yes, he's the only way. If you don't know him, then just stick around, my friend, because you will before today's message comes to an end. All right? So there's my homework assignment. I, I haven't done that for a few years, so I stumbled a little bit. But hey, um, that's my homework assignment. I can check it off. Phil can't be upset with me now for not doing the work that I was, that I was told to do, right? So we're in the third week now of this current series, and we're teaching from the book of Colossians, right? And I, I love the way that Paul has structured this letter. Each section of this letter builds on the section that came before it. And we're calling this series Foundations because these are foundational teachings that are vital to your growth as a Christian, Right? So uh, Paul, as he wrote the letter, was writing to this new church in Colossae. And he, he structured it. He set off first, he talked about the gospel. And that's what Phil talked about in the first week. And then last week, Phil talked about Jesus and Jesus 101, how Jesus is, is, is the way that we go from that kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light is through that death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, right? So this week, we go into this next step. Now Paul begins to turn the corner. He begins to talk about the why of why he's laid down all this great theological foundation. And here is where we start with where Noah started reading in um, verse four of chapter two. He said, I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine sounding arguments. The church of Colossae was under attack. It was under attack from people on the outside, the, the people around it. And Phil has talked these past couple of weeks about these two major groups of thought, these, these two major religious groups that were attacking the church, right? Now, some call this the, Coloss the Colossians heresy, right? And there's, it's not really clearly defined, but there's a few verses here, especially in chapter two, that lay out what this heresy dealt with. In verse eight, it says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. In verse 18, the first part of it says, don't let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. And then in verses 20 through 22, Paul says, 
since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world. Why? As though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. So these two major thought systems that were in the world at this time, especially around this area of Colossae, the the first one of them that was attacking the church is actually Judaism. See, at this point, Christianity was still thought to be just this little sect within Judaism, right? And it was just like this group of radical people that are following this crazy rabbi, right? And the, the larger portion of the Jewish population looked down upon them. And there was a larger group of, there's a larger section of people within the Jewish church, and these were called the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees taught this really strict adherence to rules, and these, these rules were set via Mosaic law, which is the first few books of the Bible that we have. And then some of these rules that they set were just um, the traditions of our fathers was, the, was the, word, the phrase that they used to describe them. And these were verbally passed down from generation to generation. And these rules dealt with things like uh, ritual cleanliness, uh, observing the Sabbath day, divorce, and things like that. And if, if you remember in our teachings of John, Jesus really confronted Pharisees very directly. And most times it was about these rules specifically, right? These ones that were just human traditions, as Paul would say, right? Now, the people that were pushing these pharisaical rules, they were trying to convince the Colossians that they could earn righteousness. They were trying to convince them they could earn right standing with God through their actions. And they were diminishing the work of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul had to lay that foundation so firmly right before this. A second predominant religious system in that area was what Phil, Phil said this, he said it was Gnosticism. Now, Gnosticism is kind of a, a weird word. It's not one we use a lot right now, but, but the Gnostics were this group of people and they, they kind of like grabbed from a bunch of religions to build their, <laughs> to build their own. And um, what they did is, is they believed in this supreme being or this, this good God, right? And then they believed in all these lesser spiritual beings. And these lesser spiritual beings or angels, would carry messages to men. And through these messages or this special knowledge, this gnosis, that's where Gnosticism comes from. Uh, these people could be translated from their earthly, this physical plane of existence to a spiritual plane of existence, this higher plane, right? So where Gnosticism intersected with Christianity and the way they did this is, is they said that Jesus was one of these spiritual beings. He was one of those beings that brought this mystical knowledge to earth and, and taught people how to translate from their physical form to this higher elevated plane, right? So when Paul speaks of angel worship and elemental spiritual forces, he's confronting these Gnostic beliefs. So these Gnostics, they, they thought they could achieve righteousness or, or translation from one plane to another through what they knew. So you had the do crowd, like what you do, that was the Pharisees. And then you had the what you knew crowd, which was the Gnostics, right? So both of these messages, what's amazing about them is they just kind of skirted the truth. They played around right on the, right on the edge of the truth, right? Uh, at the beginning of the 20th century, there was a professor at uh, Notre Dame University. His name was Austin O'Malley. And Austin O'Malley recorded all these nifty like little sayings, kind of like Benjamin Franklin did too, uh, you know, 100 years before. But one of his sayings that he had recorded is extremely powerful, and it says this. It says, it's twice as hard to crush a half-truth as it is a whole lie. And that's 
powerful. And it's very true. And by preaching us, by just preaching a small portion of the truth, Paul is warning the Colossians in verse four that these people are gonna come against them preaching a fine sounding message. And it's really easy to see, you know, if we try to apply that to ourselves and, and in today's world, it's really easy to see the same challenge for Christ followers now. This group of new Christians is exploring their newfound faith, right? Uh, the world around them is pointing at them and saying, hey, if you're a Christian, then you have to act this way. If you're a Christian, then you must believe this. Or if you're a Christian, then, then you have to do this. If you're a Christian, you have to vote this way and things like that. So this is all of society, all of culture, pressuring Christians and telling them, if you're claiming Christ, this is who you are. This is how you act. These are the things you do. All right, Paul is warning these Colossians, don't fall prey to that, all right? Now, it was also this group of people that were saying, hey, you know what? You're a spiritual person, right? We hear that all the time. I'm a spiritual person. So if you're a spiritual person, I, let me show you, let me teach you this path to true spiritual enlightenment. We see that in our culture a lot today as well. Now, the people pushing these messages, though, are the same as the ones that Paul warned his apostle, his, like, like the person that was training under him, Timothy. He warned Timothy about these in 2 Timothy 3, verse 5. He said, these people have a form of godliness, but they're denying its true power. We see them all the time. Their arguments are convincing. Some of these people are highly educated. They have lists of credentials a mile long, right? They have thousands, tens of thousands of followers. Actually, in social media today, these people could literally have millions millions of followers, but these people are false prophets. These are the same false prophets that Jesus warned us about in Matthew chapter seven, where he said, these are wolves in sheep's clothing. They put on masks of false humility through their actions, or they put on a mask of false wisdom through what they proclaim is spiritual knowledge. In Colossians two, Paul warns these new Christians, the Colossians and us about chasing after any or all of these false teachings. And I love how Eugene Peterson, Eugene Peterson wrote the message paraphrase. And he paraphrased Paul's warning like this. He said, you don't need a telescope, a microscope, or a horoscope to realize the fullness of Christ and the emptiness of the universe without him. The people of Colossae were in danger. They're in danger of getting lost or following the wrong path, right? If they attempted to follow these mystical teachings or these impossible to attain ideals of these false rabbis. And, and I know that personally, I, I'm, I'm myself sometimes tempted to think that, uh, you know what, I've, I've strayed. I need just the right book. I need the right bit of knowledge. I need to do this in order to earn right standing again with God. And Paul warns us about this, right? In, in chapter two here, he goes from talking about the gospel. He, he went from talking about Jesus. And now he starts talking about our identity in Christ. And this is the way that he encourages us to come against these false teachers, these false doctrines, right? So as we continue through today's readings, we see that Paul is building on this groundwork he's already laid. And in verse six, he challenges us. And this is the first command that you see in the book of Colossians. A lot of biblical experts think that the whole book of Colossians hinges on this verse and specifically this portion of it, where it says right here, continue to live your lives in him. The CSB version of the Bible says, continue to walk in him. That's a better actual translation of the Greek, okay? Now, verse six tells us what to do. It says to walk in him. Verse seven goes on then, and it tells us how to do it. Verse seven says that 
it, walking in him starts with our being rooted in him. And then it goes on and it says there's this ongoing process of being built up in him as well. This phrase rooted in him is really similar to this discussion that, that Jesus had with his disciples where he makes this true vine statement. This is in John chapter 15 where he says, I'm the true vine and my father is the gardener. In John 15, four, Jesus tells his disciples, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So as Christians, as followers of Christ, we're rooted in him. It's vital, right? He's our source of life. It's only by being rooted in Jesus that we can be productive or fruit-bearing Christians. And then there's this next piece where it says being built up in him. And being built up in him is, is neat because it's this like kind of a construction metaphor. And if you look at the Greek closely, that's what it is exactly. He's talking about this brick by brick, kind of layer by layer building up within, within Christ. And Phil talked about this in week one as well. This is the process of sanctification. Sanctification is the process of, of becoming more Christ-like as we walk in or we learn to, to live and love like him. That's what sanctification is. So as we read chapter two, we see another thing, right? And, and actually we see this in, in chapter one too. Uh, you see two words together over and over again, in him or in Christ. You see these repeated multiple times. And so as I was reading chapter two, I get to this point and I'm like, What's it mean? What does it mean to be in Christ? Well, let's go to verses nine through 11 here. And it says, for in Christ, all the fullness of the deity, the CSB version of the Bible, again, here it says, and the entire fullness of God's nature, right? Lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you've been brought to fullness. So that's one thing. And then here's the head over every power and authority. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision that's not performed by human hands. So right there, it tells us what it means to be in Christ. We've been filled and we've been circumcised, right? We've been filled, we've been added to by the one that's above all, every power and above every authority. In fact, you've been made complete, it says, brought to fullness in Christ. All the fullness of the deity, all of it has been placed in Jesus. The full identity of God has been placed in Jesus. And then Jesus in turn, through his Holy Spirit, has filled or completed each one of us. All of us that have claimed him as our Lord, that have received Jesus Christ as our savior, have been filled. But then it also says that we've been circumcised. We've been subtracted from. Your whole self, it says, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. And when Paul describes this spiritual circumcision, he says that Jesus put off the body of the flesh. Some translations actually say that, that he removed our sinful nature. And it's really important that we have this clear understanding, right, of what our sinful nature is. See, as I, as I read this, I thought defining sin is really simple. Sin is easy. Sin is anything that's outside of the will of God. It's anything that's in violation of God's law. That's sin. Sinful nature, though, a little harder to define. Personally, I found this scripture like a little tough because I know it says my sinful nature has been, has been removed, right? But I know for a fact that I still sin. So I'm like, how is this? How can this be? How can I still sin yet my sinful nature has been removed? Well, as I prayed through this, I, I have this definition that I hope helps each of us as we do this. First, prior to our redemption, before we receive Christ, um, we view sin differently, right? And this is our attitude 
towards sin. And we also, before Christ, we committed sin easily, really nearly indiscriminately, right? And this is our aptitude for sin. So these two things, our attitude for, of sin and, and our aptitude for sin, make up our sinful nature. And as Paul says here, the sinful nature has been removed. If you think about it, like now, like in my life, um, he's removed my attitude towards sin, right? I don't wanna do it. And he's also removed my aptitude for sin. I really can't do it without feeling terribly, right? So this is, a, this is a big change from where I was before Christ to where I am now. Now my attitude, my aptitude have, have both changed. In fact, when I do sin, something in me, the Holy Spirit who fills me, tells me I've done something wrong, right? It creates in me this desire to change, to course correct, to realign myself with God's will. The Christian word for this is repentance. So far we talked about sanctification. This is repentance, all right? Now, hopefully that helps as we move forward through this. This spiritual circumcision, you see, it's, it's a radical change and it's just as radical. It's equally radical as this filling. We focus a lot on the filling when we kind of don't like to talk about circumcision a whole lot, right? But uh, you can't have one without the other. God removed the part of us, our sinful nature, that was in direct opposition to his spirit and subject to his law. That's in Galatians, that's chapter five, verses 17 and 18, if you need to look that up. And then Paul continues here though in Colossians two. And he points out that not only was our sinful nature removed, so was our obligation. Sidney talked about this earlier, right? This is our indebtedness to sin. It says, and when you were dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses. He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations and that was against us and opposed to us. And he's taken it away by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in him. Some versions of the Bible say that these other, these powers and authorities, the spiritual powers and authorities were paraded naked through the streets by him when he hung on that cross. So that's a powerful visual image, especially for Paul, a Roman, to preach this to the Colossians, right? So as we move forward, it says, as Christians, as, as Christ followers, we have this new identity, and this new identity is in him. He's made us complete, and he's removed our sinful nature. It's very important, as we speak of this new identity, that we keep in mind exactly what Paul says in verse six. This is a really important concept. It says, so then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. The word we need to focus on right now in, in this sentence is the word received, okay? Tim Keller often says this. He says, Christianity is the only identity that is received and not achieved. Many times people settle, and we see this happen more and more, but they settle on just one small aspect of their life as their core identity. It can be their career, their financial status, their sexuality, that's a popular one now, social media persona, their role as a mother or father, or they can center their lives around their role as boyfriend or girlfriend or husband or wife. And then they end up constantly looking outward for affirmation, right? They look for the stamp of approval from others. This is achievement. And when we fail to, re when we we fail to receive it, what happens is bitterness results and, and we might strike out in anger or, or we look inward and self-loathing sets in. 
But what's really happening is we're beating ourselves up over what is really an identity crisis. And when I learned that I was going to be teaching on this topic, I thought, man, I need to phone a friend. So, so I called Paul Lingy. Paul is the head of the Crossroads Counseling Center. I recommend our counseling center to anyone that, that needs their assistance here. They, they've just relocated and they have an awesome setup right, over, right here across the highway. But Paul tells me that he counsels people every day that have cases of misplaced or mistaken identity. He said he regularly, he regularly speaks to Christians. They're looking past their identity in Christ, past their identity as, as sons and daughters of God, as Phil said a few weeks back, right? And instead they're living as orphans, as, as they deny their rights that, they, that they've earned through him, as they deny their inheritance. That's the word that Paul uses in Colossians 1.12, their inheritance that they have of a life that lived in Christ. Now, Paul and I talked about this, about how an identity based on external factors, such as like motherhood, fatherhood, or your profession, it places you in a really dangerous situation. What happens to your sense of self-worth if your identity is based on motherhood and your child acts out or eventually they move out, right? What happens if your identity is based on your profession and as has happened to just literally millions of Americans over the course of the past year, you're told that you're literally non-essential or you lose your job. What does that do to your sense of self-worth if you haven't placed your identity in Christ, if you, have, if you don't have this firm foundation, this bedrock of an identity that's been placed in him. Well, some people build their identity. We've seen this very recently, actually. They build their identity around their appearance. But what happens when you get older or you start to put on weight or something else happens to change your appearance? What happens if, you know, something happens like somebody, pose, somebody posts a picture of your unretouched photo in a swimming suit on Instagram. It's a calamity, isn't it? It's a major outcry. We see millions of dollars spent as people try to hide this and keep it from, from continuing to happen. So looking within yourself for the core of your identity is equally as flawed and dangerous as looking externally. One reason at looking internally is dangerous is that your picture of yourself is inconsistent, right? If you think about yourself over the past few years, what has your own your own picture of yourself looked like. Um, we saw it on the steps, like we saw kids down here. And, it, and as you went further up the steps, people were getting older. Each of those stages of your life, think about how you saw yourself. If you based your entire sense of identity and self-worth on what you saw as, as a picture of yourself internally and it's constantly changing like that, that is incredibly dangerous. It's your, your picture of yourself changes from day to day. So whether you base your identity on external factors or these internal factors, both can lead to insecurity. And this insecurity we know leads to anxiety and depression. Here in the Evansville area, this is wild. The statistics are that in the Evansville area, two and a half times the national average, the number of people that report anxiety and depression. Two and a half times the national average. That's just here in our city. And that number's the same whether you're inside the church or out of it. Isn't that crazy? So we have this problem of this mistaken identity where we as Christians need to know that we are firmly rooted in Christ. And we have this, like I said, an unshakable foundation upon which the rest of our life is built. And it provides us also with this really profound sense of value. Uh, this is taught, this is what Phil taught 
in the gospel 101 message in that first week, right? God valued each one of us so highly that he sent his son Jesus to this earth to die for us. It's John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the heart of the gospel. That's how greatly we have been valued. When I read that, when I read John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, that word so is only two letters, but it's massive. That's how much he loved us. He loved us enough to send his son. That word so, I would say, is the largest word in that sentence. Isn't that crazy? God so loved us that he sent his only begotten son. It's really important that we understand that our identity in him is received, like Paul said in verse six, and it's not achieved. We don't become Christian through striving. We can't do it by following a set of rules. There's no secret knowledge we must attain. We don't become Christian through doing Christian things. We don't become Christian by giving, by singing on the stage, by volunteering, or even through church attendance. In his book, Words of Wisdom, the Reverend Joseph Simmons says this, sitting in a church won't make a person a Christian any more than sitting in a garage will make them a car. That's hard. Becoming a Christian, receiving our new identity in Christ is only available to us through God's grace. Paul Lingy said it this way, our identity in Christ tells us who we are and even more importantly, it tells us whose we are. And then Paul the Apostle said it this way in Ephesians chapter two, verse eight, in the New Living Translation of the Bible, it says, God saved you by his grace when you believed and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. So before we receive Christ, right, we are walking along, right? We're not just headed towards death. In the book of Ephesians, it says we were actually already dead in our sins. We were dead in our trespasses, right? In our self-absorption, in our constant striving for finding meaning or in finding or proving our worth or superiority over others. Our so-called life that we were living was actually slavery to sin. That's what it says in uh, Romans chapter six, verse 20. This is a slavery that we had to like artificial highs, right? Uh, either these highs that we received through achievement or maybe some other drug, right? So for those of us that are Christians, at some point what happens is as we're walking this path, we hear this voice and it's calling to us, right? And we hear this voice and some of us heard it multiple times. Over and over we hear it, you know, calling to us and it's this voice and it's screaming out, it's, it's saying, Hey, I love you. I, I accept you unconditionally, right? This is the God. This is the creator of all the universe loving us so much that he's calling each one of us by name. Eventually we hear it. We stop, we turn around, we accept Jesus Christ. And then we begin this new life, right? We begin to walk in him. Now, I'm gonna stop here for just a second because there might be several people. There might be several people here in the room or joining us online that you're hearing this and you're like, you know what? This is one more time that someone is telling me this, that, that this God, this huge God, that he loves me so much that he can accept me despite the things I've done. Well, I'm telling you right now that God loves you unconditionally. He, he truly loves you and he wants to offer you eternal life. So if that's you, if you're hearing this one more time and you're thinking of making that change, if you're thinking of stopping and turning, then my encouragement to you right now is just do it, right? Just do it right now. You don't have to wait till a special time in this message to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. There's not, in every service we plan, there's, there's not like this little five-minute section where like, you know, if, if they're gonna receive Jesus, it has to happen right here, 
right? It doesn't work that way. So if you want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, do this. Just close your eyes. Pray to him. Tell him, God, I want to receive this true love. I want to accept your son as my master, as my Lord and Savior. I want to give up the slavery that I've had to sin and instead commit my life to living for you, to walking with you. Now, if that's you, then also do this, though. Please do this. Let us know. And there's a couple ways that you can let us know. Uh, one way, especially for those of you that are online, text us. Text us the word now. That lets us know that, you're, that you've accepted Christ and that you would love one of our care team members to pray with you. If you're here in the pew, you can do the same thing. Text the word now to 812-858-8668. Also, if you're here on the Newburgh campus, our care team members are here. They wear red lanyards around their neck. You can speak with them after this service as well. They've got two tables set up outside the doors here. They would love to talk with you about what that next step in your Christian walk looks like. So speaking of that next step, now that we've stopped, right? You've turned, you've received the gift of God's grace. You need to start to move along this new path, right? You've changed, your life has changed. You've accepted that call and now you're walking as Paul says. But you might ask yourself, what does it look like? I asked myself, what does it look like? So I, what I did is I called, there's this lady named Andrea Croslin that's a volunteer in our church. And Andrea leads this new team that's, of, oh my gosh, it's so important to the life of our church. It's called the Missional Living Team. The Missional Living Team is all about uh, equipping us, connecting us with one another, and then launching us out into the world as we live our lives, as, as we walk day by day in our new identity in Jesus Christ. Andrea and her team, that's what, that's what they're doing is they're helping us on, in this process. Now, Andrea was part, of, in January it was, um, she was part of the group of people that were up here when we did the Words of Wisdom series and they talked about work, right? So what I thought I would do is contact um, Andrea's team and say, hey, do you have some work examples of where people are living out their identity in Christ? And she sent me a few, and these are what we have. There's a teacher in our church who helps kids grow their confidence and, love, and their love of learning. There's a teacher who helps kids understand their strengths and what they're good at, and then connecting those to serving others. We have an IT person who works to alleviate the stress of people who don't enjoy working from home, but he helps to make sure that they still feel connected to others despite working remotely. We have a lawyer in our congregation who mediates and reconciles disputes by helping to put differences aside and focus on productive conversations. We have a mechanic that prays over every car that leaves his shop. And you might hear some of these, or actually, honestly, most of these stories. And you might think, Andy, you know, that's just their job. Like, that's what they're supposed to do. They should do that anyway. But what's changed in each of these people is their motivation, right? Their purpose has been shaped by their identity in Christ. Now their commitment to excellence, it has new meaning and new significance. Their identity is not derived from their professions. Their value isn't found in the quality of work they perform or the numerical results that they achieve. Right? Instead, their identity in Christ is what propels them to excellence as they view others and they view their own role through the eyes of Jesus Christ. So think of it this way. Would you like your kids learning in a classroom where your teacher, where their teacher is focused on getting information into their skull so that they can pass the test that is actually just the litmus test that lets the school administration know how well your teacher is doing? Or would you rather this teacher focuses on your child and is focused on just helping them discover their strengths and then encouraging them 
to apply those strengths in meaningful ways, or a teacher that's focused on instilling them with confidence and a love for learning. Now, do you want an IT professional that's focused on just ensuring that there's not, like, like, there's not significant downtime on your company servers, or that all of your laptops are updated to the latest you know, OS or whatever it is? You know? All that's just a bunch of what Marshall would call blibbity blah, blah, blah. That's not what's important. What's important instead to this IT professional, if, it would be instead that they ha- all the people on their team has the technical resources and the training they need to ensure that they can serve one another and their customers without the stress caused by faulty connections, lack of technical training, or significant downtime due to poorly maintained equipment. They're valuing the e- each person on your team as a customer in addition to valuing your customers. Now, on paper, that numerical impact might be the same, right? You might see it and think, well, you know what? The results are the same either way. But the thing is, the emotional, the spiritual well-being of all of the people in both of those situations is vastly different because of the way that that individual was walking in their new identity in Christ. Now, these are practical ways that members of our Crossroads Church family, that's people here in this room or joining us online, these are real people and how they're applying their identity in Christ in real life situations. Hopefully this inspires each one of us to go and do the same, right? Now, I said earlier though, some people actually try to put on this identity. They try to put on this image like it's a persona and they're like the wolves in sheep's clothing, right? They place the persona of Christ over their own features, but they do it like it's a Halloween mask. Instead of the change coming from within, they're trying to alter their appearance by putting on their Christianity or putting on their religion. And the change in this situation is merely external. And we see it all the time. Paul points it out here in Colossians. These are the people that we see screaming, don't touch that or don't do this. If you start reading at verse 20, you see it. It says, since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle it, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. What Paul is saying here is that we won't be transformed into the image of Christ by following these rules. There is, though, a Christian way of life. We weren't just saved from something, we were saved to or for something, right? Uh, Once we receive Jesus as Lord, we will begin to walk in him. Our life will change. Our actions will be his actions. But that ongoing change that we spoke about earlier, it's called sanctification, is brought about from the heart. It's rarely instantaneous. Remember, in verse seven, Paul says that we are rooted and being built up in him. This being built up in him is an ongoing process. It's brick by brick. It's layer by layer. It's not instant. When we see people also that profess to be Christian and then they falsely put on this persona of Christ, this mask of Christianity, it actually, it grates on us. Something in you will click, right? It grates on everyone. When we see people claim Christ as their Lord and then say that they hate another person or they hate another people group, it grates on us. When we see someone claim Jesus as Lord, but then claim their superiority over someone based on their social status or their race, it grates on us. Something in us clicks. Something in us just, ah, just like this fire comes up. 
and what that is, is that's the Holy Spirit speaking up within you and telling you, this isn't right. Sometimes this mask that people put on, it can be a little more subtle, right? It's seen on the person that's praying loudly and drawing attention to themselves solely for the sake of drawing attention to themselves. It's also sometimes though, it, it can be worn out of insecurity as a person thinks to himself, you know, I'm not seeing the changes quickly enough. I'm not seeing the changes of Christ in my life. I should be further in my Christian walk than I am. So what I'm gonna do is this, so that I look Christian. Well, God's spirit, his presence again will speak up and tell you, hey, this isn't right. So what is it that we do, right? How do we react to this? How do we ensure that we're not distracted by false teachings or pressured into putting on this mask of false humility by society that's telling us you, you must do this. You must live this. You have to do this if you're a Christian. We, that change has to come from within us, right? We go back to Paul's command in verses six and seven. We walk in him. We're rooted and we're built up in him. He's our source of life. As we remain rooted in him, we'll reflect his presence. It will happen. We will do this in our lives more and more each day. There will be incremental changes. There will be layers of growth. We also add bricks. We also add these layers of growth as we cling to him as the head of the church and as we're interconnected with one another. That kind of leads us into this next piece where Paul says that actually um, we become stronger in the faith. When he says the faith, he's talking about the collected teachings of the apostles, right? So when we are together, when we're following him, and then we become stronger in the faith as we follow those teachings of the apostles and we apply them in our life, that is where we have built a strong foundation. Jesus himself says it. He says, therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts those into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Another way that we can prevent distraction and avoid being misled by false teachers is by overflowing with gratitude. And this one's kind of wild because it doesn't sound like an offensive weapon when it comes to overcoming false teachings and things, right? Overcoming with gratitude, how does that work? Well, what overcoming with gratitude does is it keeps us focused as we recount what he has already done on life. It keeps us focused on God's grace instead of our own achievement. It keeps us focused on what we've received from him versus what we have achieved on our own. And when we walk in him, we won't be distracted by these false teachings. We won't feel the need to put on a mask. We'll walk our lives confident in our new identity in him. Now, to kind of aid with that this week, we do have another homework assignment. That homework assignment is on the paper that you received as you came in. I received one too. I don't know where it went. But if you have it, the instructions are there inside that are on that front cover, okay? It's a little, it's a little wordy, but that's that's because I wrote it and I am wordy. I like words, I'm sorry. But uh, please follow those instructions. The key instruction to follow there is towards the bottom where it says to read your responses out loud. There's something about speaking things and saying things that creates a different connection with our soul. So I'll be sure that as you read those instructions that you, that you follow that each day. And then each day as you're proclaiming these aspects of your identity and, and these things that you are in Christ, be sure that you're saying them out loud. I do them in my car. I think that I don't look as crazy when I'm doing that. It looks like I'm singing along to a song or something. That's, that's what I tell myself. But uh, speak these things out loud, okay? Do it for at least a week. I would personally, if you can, do it longer. But please complete that homework that you have there in your hand. If you're online, that homework assignment is also available as a PDF. You can click on the cccgo.com forward slash info, this week's sermon series. Just click on today's thing and the homework assignment's there. But if you feel the need to talk to somebody about this, if you feel that you need to know a little bit more about what it means to have an identity in Christ, to be filled and to be also 
to have your sinful nature removed and that cost of your sin removed from you as well. Your indebtedness is fully paid through God's grace. If you need that, then please do as I said earlier. Pull out your phone, text the word now to us at 812-858-8668. Or if you're here on the campus, talk to one of our care team members. Right now, please, let's, let's all pray together as we wrap up. God, Thank you. Thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to die for us. Thank you that your son, he died and he was raised from the dead. Thank you that through him, our sins have been forgiven. Our sinful nature has been cut away and we've been made complete. God, help us to be confident. Help us to be confident in our new identity in him, to walk in him each day, to remember all that we've learned through the teachings of the apostles and and then to apply those teachings to our life, God. And thank you for all those gifts that you've given to us as our good father, It's in the name of your son, Jesus, that we pray, amen.